Sue Savage. And I'm Claudia F. Savage. And we're Thick in the Throat Honey. The podcast where parent artists share how to fit art making into their already full lives. Inspirational quickies in under 30 minutes. You know, it's like all those plans gone out the window once it starts happening. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. But, you know, in Portland, you know, there's so, there are so many amazing choices around different forms of medical care. Yeah. So I was actually able to find um, a midwife who was also an MD. So I kind of had right. the best, okay. best of both right. worlds. Right, right. Um, so that, that was fantastic. And also, you know, we lived five minutes away from an excellent hospital, so... You know, I didn't. I didn't have any concerns whatsoever. That's great. So you have two. You have two children. I have two children. I have one 11 year old and one just turned four year old. And so our reason for moving moving back to the East Coast from Portland is because I'm also an only child with uh, elderly parents. So right. I'm a part of that sandwich generation. Right. Um, with young kids and also aging parents and. Uh, we have yeah. it too. We have it too, Wendy. In fact, John moved moved from New York back to Portland for right. his dad. Yeah, my my late father was was pretty ill, and um, you know, so in two thousand, I don't remember now, two thousand seven, two thousand eight, I, I moved back. Um, mm. But yeah, so we we do those things. And Claudia's dad, my mom still lives here near us, but um, Claudia's dad lives in Colorado, so we're yeah, he's not he's not well, but he's so he's, that's why we need to move to Pocatello, Idaho, which I think is oh to be between uh, on no. the road, perfectly in between. No. Oh my gosh, <laughs> he's he's joking. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> um, but yeah, I you know when he, I was I was well, first of all, I had read your book. I read your book, Turn, and I was I thought okay. it was just stunning, and um, and I, I wanted yeah, I wanted to like um. To, you know, meet you and everything. And I didn't realize you were, you were, when I, when I was thinking about having you on the podcast, I was like, wait a minute, where's Wendy? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I'll be back in March. I'll be back in March for AWP. Oh, there you go. For a more extended visit, uh, because my second poetry collection will be coming out in March and oh. I'm doing an event at Literary Arts and stuff. So I really do hope to meet you. Oh, cool. That's good. <laughs> Not just on you know, we're sort of, this is the funny thing about podcasts. We're, we're FaceTiming right now and recording this. And Wendy, unfortunately, is looking at my ceiling, which is kind of weird because it's the best position. Well, Where's we, my hand? We could probably move the phone, but make more noise. Yeah, I, we're, I, we're freaking out. We're, we're just going to see what happens here and um, so, we'll troubleshoot it all later. Yeah. I, I really want to talk about, you You know, we always ask some people um, kind of the the thing of, well, I mean, this is the main concern of any parent artist. It's like, how did you create work before? And then how has that shifted in terms of your practice now? And do you think, you know, what's the good and the bad of that, right? Like, Such a good question. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> um, That's what we're here to talk about. <laughs> yeah. So I had, like, an interesting trajectory in terms of my... Uh, as a creative writer. So I started out 
uh, very passionate about creative writing from a very young age mm-hmm. through college and um, actually got an agent in London right away out of undergrad, Whoa. which was both amazing and also very unfortunate because, um, <laughs> because you know what I did? I did what you're never supposed to do in any way, space, or form, which is I went with the first guy who asked. Oh, I didn't realize that that was a, you mean, so what had he seen of yours that made him want to pursue? Was it an essay or what was it? Actually, it was a poem. So I published a poem in the Oxford Cambridge Maze Anthology, which is kind of like the journal um, from which a lot of London London agents uh, headhunt new writers. Wait a minute. Hold on. Do they? Oh, right. Okay. Um, And she was a couple years ahead of me. So, you know, there were lots of agents at the reading and one of them approached me and um, I was just utterly thrilled and didn't know anything, didn't know my ass from my elbow and was just like, okay, great. Um, But it was a poor fit. And, uh, you know, the difference between doing the kind of writing that was very free that I was doing in college to the kind of writing that, you know, had sellability and bankability and marketability are really two different things. And particularly as a woman of color, that was a whole new kind of world um, that I needed to navigate and that I didn't have a lot of structural support for or mentorship or anything like that. So, you know, I really crashed and burned in terms of that. He dropped me because I basically refused to make my characters white. (laughs) <laughs> oh whoa, Andy! So so he let me get this straight because I was I'm I'm sort of fixated on the fact that an agent an agent approached you for um a book of poetry or because he saw potential for you to write a novel. Poem in a journal. Whoa! Wow! And then wanted yeah. you to then write wanted you to write something wanted you to write a no. novel. Okay. Wanted me to write screenplays. Oh, oh wow! Yeah. yeah, that's a big yeah. jump in creative practice had you had screenplay experience before or well yeah this... actually so i was um part of this student filmmaking group at cambridge oh, cool. so i made a couple of student films right. and also i was heavily into acting so i had you know been in tons of plays and stuff and and um i i felt able to do it and i did actually write a film with um an asian american lead Whoa. which was the problem right <laughs> yeah. that's so yeah. fast i mean but, you know i can't sell this you know like you need to do something else so you know we uh we got into uh a disagreement about that and he was just like you know i can't work with you do i just i want to ask you do you think you do you think um certain agents in london might be more receptive to having an asian male lead now or do you think it's just the same how many years have passed since this what's your thought 20 years 20 years 20 years have passed Yeah. yeah and um well, I mean, I think that, you know, the success of Crazy Rich Asians mm-hmm. has definitely shown that, you know, it's it's opened up um, what's known as narrative plenitude, you know, for... <laughs> yes, totally, right? totally. Yeah, yeah, so it's shown that, you know, films that don't center white leads do have bankability and are able to make $150 million, you know, in the first weekend and, you know... Uh, I hope that that would be the case, but interestingly, you know, I was watching, um, uh, listening to rather another podcast that yeah. was about crazy rich Asians, where this one Asian screenwriter, Asian American screenwriter, said that he had actually been dropped by his agent 
several weeks ago, mm. like Whoa. now in 2018, Whoa. for the same reason that my guy dropped me 20 years ago. So, there we go. Uh, I don't know. There it is. And it's and it's just and, you know, I think this is part of it is that this notion of you know, I mean when I think about poetry, I sort of am like, well, I mean there's so, there's so many things, there's so many doors that are being broken down right now in poetry in the, a very good way. But still, yeah. many of these, you know, lauded sort of established presses are still you just kind of look at their list and you're like, yep, same old, yeah. same old. And For um sure. and I, you know, and sort of the conversation at the residency I was just at, you know, where we were talking about, there's just one other poet there. Um, and, uh, he, you know, I was kind of asking him like, where would you like to get published or whatever? And all the presses he mentioned, I'm like, I don't even, I'm not even considering those presses. Like to me, those presses are just this very narrow strip of the experience, the American experience. I just don't. Yeah. So I find it really yeah. fascinating that like your first, interaction with publishing in general was a sort of like just a door just slammed in your face and did Absolutely. that yeah so i mean after that i didn't actually write for 10 years because Whoa. i was like okay so then you know i guess i'm not good at this and i better you know do something that just like my parents said might be like a reasonable <laughs> profession Whoa. that like kind of add something to the world. So, you know, I went back to grad school, I changed departments from mm -hmm. English Lit to um, Social and Political Science, and I stayed, you know, I was an yeah. academic. I was on a on a track to be um, a professor for the next 10 years until <laughs> I had a baby, until I had Maddie, who was born in 2007, and, you know, somehow in that kind of postpartum space, yes. um, you know, that just really kind of like cracked open my consciousness and like poems started pouring out, you know, the poems that wound up in turn. Yeah. And I was going to um, say, and was that, and did you feel um, like, did I mean, I'm just thinking about my, my space, my insane space after I had my child. <laughs> just, I mean, did you feel like, um, I saw that Brenda Shaughnessy was one of the people who um, blurbed your book and her book for me was such a touchstone of just the yeah. difficulty. Like I literally just was like, when I saw her, one of her poems in the parish review, I was in just such a state, you know, my baby, I think was like two months old at that point. And I was, I was literally losing my mind. And I read that, that, that poem. And I was like, Oh, thank you. I yeah. just, you know, so, um, you're, you're saying you, you just poems are pouring out of you just like as a, as a form of survival. Do you feel like? In that I think so. I mean, I about the fact that um you know i had a daughter at the same age as when my mother had me and yeah. there was something about that sort of like you know mirror experience that opened up the time space portal yeah you know mm -hmm. where, where i sort of like you know saw myself again um and that was a very generative space for me you know like i started having these um incredibly rich um and frightening dreams. And oh yeah. They started having like all of these like repressed memories coming out and, and it became a necessary practice, like you said, to just yeah. start writing it. I wasn't sure that I was actually even writing poems at first. And I <laughs> certainly wasn't sure that I was writing poems that would ever see the light of day. Yeah. Um, you know, I think motherhood is such a blank canvas on on which you know we project so many expectations and impossible and contradictory expectations it's a repository for all of these 
you know, societal fantasies. Yes. And um, when when I was a new mother and newly recommitted, I guess, to a writing practice after all those years of silence, um, I just sort of started hearing the music of the words again. That's kind of how it, mm-hmm. it, it came to me. And um, But at the same time, it was so hard for me to navigate yeah. all of those expectations and all of that guilt. I mean, practically speaking, I think I really found myself feeling pressured to um, to give up too much of myself and too much of, of my time. Like, on the one hand, <laughs> the poems wanted to come out, but then on the other hand, you know, Tyler, my husband, who is a graphic novelist, he, you know, had a pressing deadline, maybe. And I was like, oh, just, you know, go ahead, take my writing time, you know, because I don't I don't have deadlines going right now. And I realized, though, that actually, Oof. you know, that, that's the wrong thing to do. Like, even if I need to sit in my office and stare at the wall, that's what I need to do. So, that's my yes. I, I keep telling her that. She's a she's a production machine, but yeah. she needs to know that staring at the wall, take, yeah. taking a nap on the couch is creative work. Well, how did you so how did you come to the space of permission for that, Wendy? Because I really, you know, it's really hard for me. It's hard for me to feel yeah. like, you know, unless I'm like either uh, contributing from the perspective of caretaking or contributing from the perspective of an economic perspective that sort of dreamy space, um, you know, the week I just had at my residency, I realized like it was really powerful to be with other parents because all of us had that time of integration where we're like, wow, I can't do anything. I got so much stuff in my head right now. I'm just sitting, not able to do any, you know, like the first day or so. Um, yeah. Just, I completely get that. Yeah. 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 That makes so much sense. I wonder if it's something to do with growing up in actually <laughs> you know what's funny because all the people there was okay so the one guy that was there there's just four of us but the one guy that was there he was from um portland and he was just so he was so portland he's a gorgeous poet but he was so portland like very subdued he went to bed yeah. early like he just did not want to participate with our, our raving crazy you know mama situation um which we need to, yeah we pretty much are like we need to rage a lot more um but it was interesting sort of the pace of the conversation because all these people that were there were all from the upper Northeast. And I just found myself, yeah, the movement of the mind is fast in those spaces. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, just this pressure to produce and this pressure yes. to like, you know, generate bankable work also, I feel like it's a very Yes. And I think it has to do with the economics of that space and also with like this kind of culture of scarcity um, that's a part of New York City, you know, because like there's so little space for so many people. There's so few resources for so many people. So you have to like, you know, get in there and scrap to get your little piece, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like, that's a very unhealthy place to be, at least for me as, um, as, as a writer and as an artist, you know, that's why I live in a tiny little town in upstate New York. I was just going to ask you, like, so you, so you, cause, cause I, you know, it's funny. I went, uh, I went to see my sister a couple years ago and she lives on Long Island, which is a whole story yeah. in and of itself. Um, but, uh, she, you know, we, I was like, let's go check out Beacon. Cause I have an old friend from um, high school who lives up there. And I went and, and she's like, you know, wow, it's really sleepy. And I was like, well, yeah, but it's also sleepy which is great it's not massapequa it's not massapequa where my sister lives but i just um 
yeah, I wonder about that. So did you, did you feel like compelled to like, oh, I'm going to find a space. I have to find quiet, like to get away. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much so. And particularly as a kind of reaction, I think to our political presence, um, I, I felt like I wanted to have this kind of like insulated, um, gentle everyday life, I think, yes. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because- yeah. And you know, we've definitely found that it's, I feel like we've actually hit on a pretty sweet spot. So my, we see my parents pretty much every weekend and, you know, my kids are happy here. You know, we're like right next to Bard. My older daughter swims there. So yeah, it really works. You know, my little one goes to the Montessori two blocks away. I walk her or sometimes pull her in a sled, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. And I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, I think we're, we're living in, um, yeah, this is this is something I think we probably haven't talked about enough on our podcast, but we are living in a time of um, I feel it. I felt it in the small town in Washington. There was such aggression that I just I kind small of small town in Washington. Man, all you have to do is drive down Foster Road in Southeast Portland yeah. or, or anywhere in the city, and I, I feel I feel aggression from people. Unbelievable. I feel a lot of aggression more so than usual in the city. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and you know, Frank, you know, and frankly, fear. I mean, I just I I you know. Wendy, I just got a, I got a fellowship and, and, um, the guy who, thank you, (laughs) the guy who gave me the fellowship, I'm about to go there next weekend, but, um, he was kind of like, you, you have to, you have to out yourself as an Arab American. And he goes, we need you. And I'm like, well, that's easy for you to say, because like for me, uh, I have, I have a lot of fear actually. Um, and, uh, you know, I, this is the sort of thing where, I mean, this is a good thing to, I guess, to come back around with, um, the podcast is just sort of, do you feel in your art making, um, part of it is just like a sense of wanting to show your kids, your voice, that your voice is big and strong. Do you, do you find that at all? Or is it more, is it a different reason? Um, I mean, they're kind of, well, they're kind of not that interested in my work. (laughs) (laughs) They're little, they're little. (laughs) (laughs) You know, even my 11 year old is kind of not that, not that interested. Um, is pretty opaque you know for for most people yeah uh, and and my older daughter is like you know she really takes after my husband i'm pretty sure that she's going to be a visual artist of some kind oh, so cool. she's not really a word person right um yeah but definitely for posterity i feel like it's important to show that that to them certainly yes. um yeah yeah i mean my, my voice has always been pretty loud so <laughs> <laughs> I know. So I kind of feel like, yeah. I mean, my dad is actually, you know, like he's he's always been um, a radical leftist activist, yeah. like of the burn it down variety. Mm-hmm. So you know, you're like, I just want my sled. <laughs> I mean, so I kind of grew up with that kind of like uh, the the sort of audacity of of being a loud person of color. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he's like very fearless in that way, and I'm really thankful for that. You know, mm-hmm. and like not not only is he a political activist, but you know he's he was also he is also you know an activist around um, uh, the stigmatization of disease. So my father, and this is actually the subject of the novel that um, I am still working on, but just finished the first draft. Two, um, my father was actually a patient at the Federal Institution for the Treatment of Leprosy Whoa. in Carville, Louisiana, for nine years from 1954 to 1963. Whoa. Yeah. So, you know, talk about stigma. Oh, my it's, God. It's like a metaphor for stigma. 
Yes. So, so the fact that, you know, now as an 81 year old man, he's not only given me carte blanche to write this book, but also helped me get a backstage pass, essentially, helped me get like 300 pages of archives, went with me last year down to the institution to like, you know, dig around in their archives that are held there. You know, that that's like real accident. Whoa, that's unbelievable. And and how, I mean, how did you, you're talking, we're talking about division of labor and those sorts of things. Like, how did you find time, like between caretaking and everything? Like, how did you find time to work on that? Yeah. And your, your husband's a graphic novelist too. So do you, um, yeah. How do you, how do you, how do you share your time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we actually really rely very heavily on, um, on, using the calendar and writing down the hours. Like oh my God. Divide up the day, like in two hour or three hour chunks. And wow. we've been doing that for years and that really uh, minimizes conflict between us. Like we really need to know like who's getting what amount of time. Um, did you guys, then, may I ask, did you guys argue about this? Because I know Claudia and I tried something exactly like that for a while. Yeah. And it was actually kind of horrible for us. <laughs> really? Wow. We yeah. must not be as disciplined as you guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's probably it's probably one of the one of the biggest sources of marital conflict that we have. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I mean, it's stupid, but it is because you know on on the surface it seems like well it, you're only arguing about like a handful of hours, but there's so oh. much underneath it, right? Like uh-huh. it represents how much you value each other's work and how much you value your own work. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's so much there around that and, and around like, you know, expectations of, uh, parenting roles and gender roles and uh-huh. domestic labor roles. I mean, you know, they say the personal is political, but I think that when you're co-parenting and you're actually, you know, working in the same, same space where even coworkers and your lovers and your, all the things all together, yes. you know, the, the politics aren't, out there in the world, they're in your bedroom, they're in your nursery, they're in your kitchen, totally. they're in your mind. Totally. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. And then, and that's hard. It's hard to separate. It's also hard to separate out those things. Like to say, today, I'm not going to feel resentment. Like today I'm, yeah. I'm going to like be good with, because especially for me anyway, when I'm kind of like on a roll with a project, I kind of, I'm, I'm just, I devour, I want to devour every like inch of space you know i'm just like i need all of it i don't want to have equity i want it all you know i don't want to do the dishes oh you finally admit it (laughs) (laughs) gotcha gotcha you know what i kind of accidentally discovered um this summer so um so tyler uh does a lot of comic book conventions and maddie for the past Probably like three years, maybe even four years, has essentially been his apprentice. So she goes with him oh, cool. to these conventions and she helps him set up and she helps sell books and she even yeah. takes commissions and stuff like that. So they actually went off in August for two back to back conventions plus visiting family in the Northeast. So Tyler's family is also in New England and stuff. Wow. So they were gone for, um, so half my household was gone for over two weeks and I had a little one I had Lucy still but she was in summer camp from nine to three so within that framework I totally finished 
that first draft of my novel. Wow. So what was really interesting to me was how much that highlighted how much extra labor there is per person in the household. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mm-hmm. haven't really right. realized that before. Just <laughs> existing in a home makes labor. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's totally true. It's like just the, I was actually thinking about that, how, how odd it was to be at a residency. And it was a little difficult for me because they were very regimented about like when the meals were. And I much prefer to like, if I'm working, I want to be working. I don't want to like, now I have to go to lunch or whatever, but okay. But it was, but it was interesting because I realized, wow, like, this is amazing. Like, I don't have to do any laundry. I don't have to like, just clean up after somebody. I don't have to worry about when the next meal, I don't have to worry about picking someone up from school. I don't have to, you know, like just unbelievable. And also just frankly, the emotional space that people take up just existing, right? Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It's the emotional labor. How many kids do you guys have? Just one. We just can't, we can't complain, Wendy. We, we, can't com- <laughs> we can't complain, but I don't know no, how people, like, I don't know how people do it with two. Labor, yeah. But the thing that really did it for me in terms of like removal of an enormous amount of emotional labor was that my kids fight all the time. Oh. It's like the Tom and Jerry show at my house. Right? <laughs> 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 like you would you would think that a seven and a half year ATF would like mediate that? No. Not so much. Oh. So Man. So the fact that they were separated for that amount of time meant yeah. such a reduction in emotional labor in having to arbitrate between them and referee the Tom and Jerry show that is always happening in my house. <laughs> Man. Oh, oh. Yeah, I think I think this was part of it. I, I come from a family of, of four kids, you know, and I was and John's an only child, and I was like, no, maybe one's good. Maybe we're good with one. Because mm-hmm. I just kind of, I'm like, there's no guarantee. I mean, I get along really well with my siblings now, but like, there's just there's no guarantee that it's not going to be crazy like yeah. all the time. There's a lot of noise. <laughs> that's right. That's why you need. That's why you need the snow and the and the sled. That's why you need to live where you are, Wendy. <laughs> so, yeah. so Wendy, I wanted to ask you a little more about. Um, so, American Terrace, the graphic novel, is that is that a collaboration yeah. between you and Tyler then, or what? Yeah, that was a collaboration. Yeah. So um, he primarily wrote it, but actually, um, a lot of the research that had gone into a postdoctoral fellowship application of mine that rejected um i think 18 to 20 times actually went into (laughs) so so it's pretty good then if if the academics wouldn't take it then it's definitely it's really good it's It's definitely good to have it on the coffee table at home (laughs) it's a good book (laughs) yeah i mean so how how is that were you guys working on that how do you work that out in terms of your collaboration I think that's the best, that's the best thing ever. We should just all have t-shirts that say that because I, I always say that about John and I collaborating together that, that it's like the way we stopped talking about diapers. Like we just needed to like have another 
and I, and I really think, you know, I see couples that kind of go, they spiral down, you know, they have children and then they just kind of spiral into all their, all their conversations are just about, did you pick up so-and-so from soccer, so-and-so eating, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, I'm like, oh my gosh, I would lose my mind because I just need to like, you know, you need to have like some level of intellectual stimulus to, well, frankly, to even want to have sex with the other person. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it actually gets very hot. I yeah. Think, I think it creates this kind of like, you know, this sexual energy. Yes, totally. Totally. Yeah. Particularly when you're very honest with each other, you know, I think that like honest critique actually creates that kind of like free zone that, you know, creates sexual sparks. Oh, Wendy, you're so cool. You're cool. I can't wait to meet you in person. <laughs> you're like the coolest chick ever. <laughs> so when you're at so when you're at AWP, you have to come check out our offsite uh, thing we're having at Passages book, Bookshop. Yeah, yeah, we're doing. I a, would love to. Yeah, we're doing collaborations between poets and musicians, so it should be really oh fun. Oh my god, that's so cool! Wow, <laughs> I really... totally want in on that. I get it. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should get in on it, Wendy. I don't know. We haven't. We haven't picked the final list of like people. We're kind of, we're kind of, I don't know. There's, there's one person I know for sure. And John has one person for sure. And we're kind of like, who are we going to, yeah. So that'd be really I cool. I really, really love to, because actually the majority of the poems in my second book are um, very, um, they're very musical. Oh. In, in a way. So they're, yeah, yeah. So it's um, playing a lot with humor. Yeah. The majority of the poems are either blank verse or they are what I call three by three poems. So they're poems that are three syllables per line and three lines per stanza. So I feel like they would actually really oh, lend cool. well to musical composition. Yeah. Oh, that's very cool. I love that. I like that little like. I think we just read one of those on. We're Did reading we? That. It was oh, three, we read, there were three read, stanzas each. Yeah, they were, they, 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 uh, little, yeah, the little tercets. Yeah, we yeah. were looking at the rumpus. Yeah, a little while ago, we were like, oh, oh cool. yeah, 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 yeah. That'd be great. I love this. I like that we're like we're like making plans on our podcast. This is the coolest thing oh. ever. <laughs> well, you're just you're just hanging out in our house here, really. <laughs> no, no. We totally want. See, someone will be someone will be listening. And they'll say, "Hey, I told you, man, that was an inside job." <laughs> They don't really take those applications. <laughs> so, Wendy, when is your, um, you said your next book is coming out. Who, who's that coming out from? Um, SRP, Sibling Rivalry Press. Oh. I had such a good experience with them that I'm, I'm thrilled to be working with them again. They're really great. He's lovely. I can't, What? who's the name of the editor over there? Brian Borland. Yeah, he's. he just seems yeah. like a super generous, I sent them something a long time ago and he didn't take it, but he was like, anytime you have a book, I love your work. You should send it to me. I was like, okay. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you no, know, he really is. Like, he really truly is. Yeah. Uh, I have not had a negative interaction with him in all the years that I've worked with him. It's been a lot of years. So that says a lot. Yeah, that's fabulous. This has been so fabulous, Wendy. I've had so much fun talking to you. I can't wait to, like, you know, oh. just, just put you out there and, like, you know. Huh. Just talk about all your work and everything on our podcast. Thank you for putting up with our tech problems, and yes. and, and I hope and I hope our uh, audience can put up with some of our tech. We'll see how this we'll see how this records. It's gonna rock. So, it's gonna okay. rock it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we're thick in the throat, honey. And uh, yeah, we've been talking with Wendy Chin Tanner, and we're really looking forward to putting all her stuff on our podcast. You can find us on iTunes and hopefully soon on Stitcher. I'm trying, and then um, and also on our website, thickinthroathoney.com, and on Facebook. Yeah. Sure, honey, on Facebook. Instagram. Thanks so much, Wendy. Thank you, Wendy.